Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have President Ken Daly of St. Thomas Aquinas College as our guest. Can you talk about how you were prepared um, for the for the pandemic? And it really helped, you know, put St. Thomas Aquinas in a in a strong position. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'm really blessed to have this opportunity to support our students at this stage of my, you know, my life and my career. Uh, honestly, from my first day in the energy industry, my my lifetime ambition was always to become a college president. And I've spent a lot of time in the classroom over the years as an adjunct professor. Uh, I was the chair of a community college. I served on the board of my alma mater, done a lot of workforce development. So always was pretty heavily involved in higher ed. But when I had a chance to retire from the energy industry, I really you know, wanted to become a college president to try to give back and help support the students. So when I went through the interview process, honestly, uh, crisis management never came up. You know, It wasn't a skill I didn't think I'd have to bring forward with me. But my background was very much crisis management, uh, responding to storms, you know, tragically, uh, like the one we're seeing right now in, in Florida and, and in Puerto Rico. You know, I spent a better part of my year, you know, uh, my career with Sandy and 9-11 and traveling to Puerto Rico and places like that around the world to help bring the power back. So my background was crisis management. I joined St. Thomas Aquinas College pretty much in the midst of the COVID crisis. And I think those experiences helped me lead the college and form what we called our COVID task force, a dedicated team of about 20 individuals around the campus who for two years, you know, really safeguarded our students, uh, safeguarded the entire campus and really proud to say that we didn't have a, a single serious health issue among our student base. Uh, we did have obviously COVID cases and, you know, lots of mitigation, but very proud of the way we handled it from a, from a crisis management standpoint. Yeah, it's interesting. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with the president of um, St. Xavier, who, uh, who lived in New Orleans and grew up in New Orleans. And it's interesting because she had talked about, she said, hey, the pandemic and COVID was was very serious and it wasn't easy to deal with and support. But she she had lived through Hurricane Katrina and she was in a she was in an executive position at that time to you know prepare a task force. So she had said she said, boy, that experience really helped her for COVID because she said at that time she said not to diminish the significance of COVID. But she said with Hurricane Katrina the entire city was completely down. Yeah, devastation. I mean, it was not nothing good about COVID, obviously, but uh, it allowed us, I think, to align ourselves, you know, pretty much on my first day as a team, where fortunately I was able to leverage my background and expertise. But really our whole team was aligned pretty much from the first moment I joined uh, around safeguarding the students and safeguarding the campus. So it gave us, I think, a common theme to build from. And, uh, you know, here we are two years later, but very proud of the work we've done. Well, and so let's talk a little bit about your journey. You know, you talked about your energy uh, industry experience, but um, I always like to start with the question, who were the mentors that really helped shape your journey? Yeah, so, you know, when you spend 30 years uh, in one industry with the same company, started in meter reading and then worked my way all the way up to president. And I remember my first day in the company, the uh, almost CEO at the time said to me, someday you can become you know, the president, the CEO. And I've always had a relationship with that gentleman, gentleman named Bob Cattell. He now chairs my STEM advisory board here at the college. So we've been 
together for over 30 years. But I would say from a business standpoint, clearly he was, you know, my mentor and uh, other leaders within the company helped groom my career. As I pivoted to become a college president, uh, who better than to learn from is from other much more seasoned, much more experienced college presidents. So when I was going through the interview process, and even before then, I spent a lot of time meeting with standing college presidents who I knew from my prior roles and learning from their experiences. And I also took a six-month course on how to become a college president, a course that EGB runs. So I would say, you know, certainly in my corporate career, I had a lot of mentors, including the CEO and other CEOs I've worked with. But for the transition, I really needed to get the expertise from college presidents and met with, you know, a, a dozen or so of them along the way. And they just imparted so much knowledge that they become mentors of mine. Mm-hmm. So I noticed uh, behind you, you know, you've got some pictures. It looks like maybe a family. I see Jackie Robinson, maybe a baseball card back there and a leadership book. Uh, do you have any stories or anything that you wanted to share as far as mementos or pictures that you wanted to talk about? Well, I can't uh, have an interview without talking about my real hero, my wife, Lori, uh, right here with me. So Lori and I, you know, we're a team. We've been married 25 years She's equally excited about this opportunity. She is uh, here on campus, present uh, in a role where she volunteers and primarily supports the students, you know, roundtables, attends events, tries to hear what's on their mind. But she also does recruiting for us, goes out to some of the schools, uh, helps out with a lot of our advancement work. But she's ever present with me um, in this journey. So it starts with her. And then if you look uh, here, you'll see our four children you know, three of whom are at college age. One just graduated. Uh, one's a senior out at USC in California. One's at okay. NYU in, in the city. And I have a little guy, uh, all six foot tall of them now. He's a basketball player in high school still. So, you know, they're obviously our, our pride and joy, the four children. But to have now 1,200 other students here on campus so yeah. I can help, that that's really the story. Um, there is an interesting story about the Jackie Robinson book, uh, my dad, one of my heroes, actually met Jackie Robinson when he was a boy uh, living in Brooklyn. They were on the way to the game. And I guess back then the players would travel the same way the fans did. You know, they took a trolley, if you can imagine. And dad uh, was, uh, I think, 13 at the time, getting to the game early to watch the players. And who comes up next to him, puts his arm around him, and they walk to the game together. And that always left a, you know, a memory on my dad. Obviously, Jackie Robinson went on to do amazing things as a, as a player, but more amazing things as a, as a leader, you know, uh, in breaking the color barrier, becoming a civil rights advocate. So he's always been one of my personal heroes. I always said my dad's favorite player was Jackie Robinson. My favorite player was Jackie Robinson. And my son's favorite players are Jackie Robinson. And none of them were born, you know, <laughs> nor was I when he played, but the stories that dad shared with us. So uh, I, was out, I was honored to host uh, an event in honor of Jackie Robinson a few years ago. And that's the picture you see where we brought together college, we brought together business, and we brought together community leaders to celebrate uh, at the time, the 70th anniversary of his breaking the color barrier. Now it's actually 75 years, as you know. Wow, that's quite an experience. So now are you are you a, a Dodgers fan, Yankee fan, Mets? What? Well, it's an interesting question. So I'm a diehard Mets fan. Okay. Uh, my wife is a Yankees fan, so as we say, we're happily married 11 months a year. <laughs> Normally, she watches baseball in October. I do something else. This year, it looks like we both both be watching. But what happened was the Dodgers left New York, 
and the Mets effectively became their replacement a few years later. So I definitely picked that up from dad. Mm -hmm. So you had talked, you, you had mentioned businesses, local community. Can you talk about how important is the local community and the relationship between the local community and the institution? And, and how do you, how do you foster that relationship? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, one of the lessons I did learn from the chancellor of uh, the New York State SUNY system, who I knew very well, Nancy Zimpfer, was the key when you're a college president is really making the college part of that community. In fact, she wrote a book on it, and I read the book, uh, and it was very, very insightful. And effectively, instead of bringing the college to the community, bring the community to the college. You know, open your campus whereby business leaders, government leaders, community leaders are in tune with the needs of our students. And then we can work together to support our students, but then using the, the firepower we and our students have, work with the community to, uh, to help solve some of their challenges. So um, you'll hear more about some of the things we're doing from a career standpoint, but we really have opened our campus now where I would say almost every day, business, community, government leaders are here on campus interacting with our students to help them, but also for us to help the community. So how, how does St. Thomas Aquinas compete? You know, it's, it's a pretty saturated market in higher education, in faith-based education. So what does that look like? How, how do you compete and win? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very competitive, as you know. Um, there are fewer high school age students, which means there are fewer college bound students all of which has been exacerbated by the COVID challenge is, you know, a lot of students uh, can't go to college because they need to work on the front lines, right? They need to help their families and they're going through, you know, so many different competing challenges. So it's hard to be honest for a small private uh, like St. Thomas Aquinas college. I, I think the differentiator, you know, when we're out there is we believe we can provide the same level of opportunity that some of the bigger schools can. You have a 72 acre campus. Uh, we have, world-class academics. We have a very uh, engaging student development atmosphere. So I think all the things that big schools offer, but what's a little difference is the care we can give to our students on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So just a real live example, this morning at nine o'clock, you know, I think my second or third meeting of the day was with our stack one-on-one freshman class. I go in and meet with every one of the freshman class. Yesterday, same time, nine o'clock with that group of freshmen day before nine o'clock with that group of freshmen. So at the present level, because of our size, I can actually meet every freshman through a class, look them in the eye, tell them what I expect, but more importantly, what they should expect for themselves. So I think, you know, we're competing out there for sure every day. It is competitive, but we believe the differentiator is the combination of the resources we bring, but then that one-to-one -one individualized attention, small class sizes, guidance, mentoring, you know, faculty, of course. Now, have you been able to add uh, additional programs, maybe even something around energy? Yeah, you know, great uh, question. You know, uh, certainly want to play to uh, my expertise and experience only such that I could help my students. So one of the things I do know from being in the energy industry is, you know, perhaps the issue of our time is climate change, right? We're again seeing it in a harsh way this week. But it's also an issue that the young generation is passionate around, rightly so. You know, they'll do far better than we did, to be quite honest with you. So what I know is that there's so many career opportunities that are exciting, uh, that they're fulfilling, they, they pay well, they can help you, you know, support your family. I, I think I'm living proof of that. I want my students to have that same opportunity 
So one of the first things I was able to uh, announce upon joining Stack was the launch of a STEM school, our first ever STEM school. And we announced it on Earth Day, symbolically. Mm. So really wanted to send a message to the community, you know, to the world, if you will, that we care about the environment. We take our commitment to sustainability so seriously. We want to train the next generation of leaders. And maybe to put an exclamation point on it, this summer, we had a local company, a community partner, Veolia, sponsor a camp. And the camp was for students who otherwise wouldn't get a chance to come to a college over the summer, high school students, juniors going on senior year mostly. And they lived here for a week. And while mm-hmm. they were here, they took a week of STEM classes. Some was in the lab inside you know, the computer and some was outside with boots on and taking samples and really uh, exposing some young men and women who may not have known about STEM to the opportunities. So really passionate around uh, sustainability, as you could probably hear in my voice, but wanted to translate that passion into opportunities for the students. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you define student success? Yeah, you know, I think on the front end, and I learned this honestly from uh, the other presidents, you know, it really starts with providing access to an affordable education. I'm blessed that my own children get an opportunity to afford their education, but a lot of families don't have that opportunity for whatever reason, might be first generation, might have to go to work. Uh, My single goal is that while I'm president, uh, financial need will never be a barrier to any student getting an education. If someone can't afford it, we'll connect them with a donor, we'll find scholarships, we'll find some type of a support network. So I think it really starts with access to the affordability. While they're here, it's really the combination of the world-class education, you know, getting um, a, a faculty team that I would put up against any. And I always like to say they spend as much time, if you can imagine, outside the class with the students as they do even inside the class when they're obviously mm-hmm. at their best, you know, with their lessons and uh, lectures, but they're always on campus walking around with students, meeting with the clubs, guiding, helping them pick majors. We also want the students to have fun. You know, they're 18 to 22 year olds. The best four years of their life is my commitment to them that we're going to give them opportunities. Uh, we have a bike program on campus. You know, you just swipe your card, you can take your bike around anywhere you want. The other night, I was walking through the student center, there was bingo going on. Uh, there's clubs, activities, really good athletics program. We have a a top-notch D2 program, and we come out and support those programs. But at the end of the day, you know, it has to culminate in a career opportunity. You know, I like to say we're not here to get them jobs. We're here to help them launch their careers. And we've had a big focus on what I call experiential learning, bringing those careers right into the classroom so that when they do graduate, they can launch their careers and be successful in the future. So how many first-generation students do you have? Yeah, it's about 40% of our students are first generation. So it's a big percentage of our population. And, and so what, um, what methods do you use to help make sure that uh, first generation and students in general, make sure that they persist and graduate? Yeah, we've, we've pivoted our approach um, because of the high percentage of first generation students And again, exacerbated by the last two years of the high school COVID challenges where some students, you know, because of the limiting factors of COVID, weren't able to get the same education they may have received in a a pre-COVID world. Um, So we we made a few changes. One is we've always had this summer immersion program where for some students, and New York State supports it, we bring them in uh, a month or two early 
They live on campus. They take math and writing prep type courses so that when the gun goes off in September, they're ready to go. So we, we built on that program. We're very proud of that program. It's a, it's a HEOP uh, program. But the big change this year was for all of our freshmen, we launched what we call the Spartan Journey. So it was a five-day you know, comprehensive orientation program where it was a combination of you know, immersion into the campus culture, getting to make friends, team building, that's just so important, but also getting comfortable with being a student, again, before the classes stop, before the gun goes off. And we ended it with our first ever new student convocation in the chapel, you know, right down the road, where the students took a pledge and they took a pledge to service and to commitment during their time here at the college. And I can tell you, it's only a few weeks in, so I'd, I'd rather see the data than the anecdotes. But what I'm feeling when I'm with the freshmen is they're already onboarded. Where again, probably a lot because of COVID, the last couple of years, that first semester took them a bit longer uh, to kind of feel their way through it. And as you know, retention really starts from day one. If we can help them navigate the first semester, the first year, pretty not, pretty much on their own before you know it, and they're they're often uh, flourishing in the future. Well, and, and can you talk a little bit about um, you know relationships are so important in life, you know, in general. But when you look at an institution, a faith-based private institution, um, where you had mentioned you get a chance to meet with the freshmen face to face, you know, in, in my humble estimation, I, I, gosh, I think that is so powerful to be able to have lunch with the president, meet with the president for breakfast. And there's a lot of schools out there that have 10, 20, 30,000 flagship state schools, neither good nor bad, but you, you can't, it's very hard to have that experience and that intimacy meeting with, with students. Can you talk about just the advantage that you have and, and at the size that you're at? Yeah, a lot of parents, you know, today what they want is care, uh, safety and opportunity for their son or daughter. And I think what's nice about a small college, you know, just like the bigger ones, we provide the opportunity because we have uh, resources. I think the differentiator is, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm at the front gate welcoming the students on their way in. And honestly, I'm half president and half parent. You know, I'm checking, did you have your breakfast, do your homework? How are you feeling? Is there anything I could help you with? You know, are you lost? And I don't mean lost in terms of not being able to find the building. Are you behind in class? Don't worry. We have free tutors. We have guidance. I'm really able to get to know the students, but I'm just one of a team. You know, every one of our employees has that same mantra. Uh, the one thing I learned when I was interviewing, if you are lost, our employees don't tell you where the building is. They walk you to the building. They show you. They connect you with that relationship. I think it's so important because, honestly, it's, it's a tough age for the students. They're going through so much in society. They're going through a lot from a social standpoint, you know, make a transition, perhaps to new friend groups. We want them to have the relationships and we try to surround them with opportunities to find what works best for them. Mm -hmm. And so how do you make sure that <clears throat> that students are um, are career ready, especially when you have jobs that don't even don't even exist today? That'll be a, that'll be here in five or 10 years or vice versa. Maybe there's jobs today that aren't going to exist. In five or ten yeah. years, yeah, I mean, great, great point. We're we're trying to be fit for the future. I don't want to teach yesterday's curriculum. I don't want to teach today's curriculum. I really want to try to figure out tomorrow's curriculum. The launch of a new STEM school, we think, is a good example of that. This semester, for the first time ever, launch of a new MBA in healthcare management and informatics. Clearly, coming out of COVID, that field will be 
so critical and growing in the future. So it's always having the pulse on, you know, where industry is heading and how do we stay a step or two uh, ahead of that. We have advisory boards, that STEM advisory board counsels me and our new STEM dean. Last night, we had some of our business advisory board members here mentoring the students on what those future fields are and why it's so important to, you know, have strong skills in cyber or analytics. So very important, first and foremost, that we have the pulse of where industry is heading. But then we want to make sure that we're giving our students while they're here at the college kind of the head start opportunities. So we have a brand new career center. It looks like an Apple store on purpose. It's meant to be inviting and welcoming. I don't want just the students in there. I want the employers in there because that's when we can make the connections. Uh, this week is something we call Stack Your Future Week. We do a week in September, and then we do a whole month in the spring where it's lecturers, it's careers, it's resume writing, it's dress for success, it's you know career prep. And we want our students to get you know those top-notch internships. One of our students this summer was hired by Bloomberg in London. And not only had the internship, was mm. voted their top intern in the whole program of 90 wow. students from around the world. Some of our students aren't ready for that, to be quite honest with you, early in their time. So we hire them here on campus for their first internship. And they might work in our marketing department or in HR or finance on campus, you know, pay them a little bit uh, of a stipend to get them started. But the second year, with that under their belt, they're now ready for Bloomberg or Pfizer or National Grid or other great opportunities that I can hopefully provide for the students. Yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, when you look at um, when you look at the value of education um, and maybe I'll even take a step back. So this is, again, just in my opinion, you know, getting the word out about the institution and getting parents and students to know about your school and what it can bring it can be hard, you know, I mean, I newspapers, you know, whether you're talking about student debt or other challenges, typically it's that broad picture where they're talking about the Harvards or the UCLA's or the USC's of the world, which isn't necessarily bad, but it, it oftentimes does leave out private faith-based schools that offer something different. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge uh, to your point. When you read the headlines, it's probably what folks would consider the high-end schools. And I'm sure they have their own challenges, but they're so different than what we are experiencing. And as I try to tell my students, Harvard's a wonderful school. It's one of the schools I had the opportunity to sure. attend. Right. And, uh, you know, Stack's not Harvard. I'm not embarrassed to say that. The flip side is Harvard's not St. Thomas Aquinas College. I don't think their president was teaching freshmen the last three days, right? They can't. You know, they have a different construct. So I think for some families and for some students in particular, there's a gap between them going from where they are today to possibly all the way to some of the schools you highlighted. But by coming to a school like St. Thomas Aquinas College, in some ways it's the best of both worlds They're getting those experiences that they would receive at a school like that, but in a bit more of a caring, nurturing, supportive environment, only because of our size and our ability to not just know the student's name, to know their family member's name, know their major, know where their struggles are. Like I said, when you look you know, a young man or woman in the eye, you can see where they are on the journey. And early on, we can then use that information to help fill in the gaps with tutoring and the, and the guidance. So you know, those big schools are wonderful, don't get me wrong, but they just can't provide the level of individual attention that we believe we can or other you know, small privates for that matter. So how, how many students do you have today? 
So we have 2,000 in total. It's an interesting uh, mix. We have uh, around 1,200 undergraduate and graduate. That would be the on-campus. And then believe it or not, we have 800 high school students who at their high schools, not here, are taking early college classes, you know, at a very, very low price point to help them get a little bit of a head start. And then if they choose to come to Stack and hopefully other schools, we accept all those credits. We don't want them to have to retake classes they've already taken. So 2,000 in total in round numbers, 1,200 here on campus, undergrad and grad, and then about 800 through this uh, very, very rich uh, high school program where we give students a very affordable opportunity to take college credits at their own school. So how do, how do those feeder schools learn about you? Yeah, I mean, we have a very robust uh, recruitment team. Uh, we do a lot of local recruitment, as you might imagine, but we're now trying to expand to adjacent communities. You know, our recruiters are ever present. One of the techniques we took last year, which worked incredibly well, is we had 50 buses from schools that normally wouldn't know about our college, you know, out of our region, come in for a day in the life of a college student. You know, so if you do the math, 50 buses times 50 students on each bus, you know, something like 2,500 touch points with students who may not have even heard of St. Thomas Aquinas College. Now when they get to campus, they meet some of our students, they sit in on a class, they get a feel for the college environment. We're on their radar. We at least want to give them you know, the opportunity to consider us. So it's traditional marketing, I would say, and recruitment, but also some enhanced things like the camps and the bus trips to give more and more students that experience uh, of what college is like. See, and, and I love that because to your point, I, I went to a, a flagship state school, 50,000 students and love the experience, right? But to your point, you know, I, I, I just love that, that intimate feel, you know, where the president can sit down and the faculty can sit down and have lunch with with the students. I, I think that's great. You know, how, how big can you or do you want to get? Yeah, I mean, growth is clearly key, right? In this uh, day and age, there's a lot of small private colleges. Uh, we need to grow. So right now, you know, round numbers were 1,200 undergrad and grad. Uh, next few years, I would like to grow that to 1,500. You know, not, not necessarily double it, but a nice 25% uh, increase. I think we can do it. This year's freshman class was 10% higher than last year. Last year's freshman class was higher than the year before. You know, need to do that, you know, three or four straight years. Pretty confident that uh, we can get from 1,200 to 1,500 and still provide that level of care uh, and support to our students. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about diversity. You know, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, really from – from what we hear from a number of, of presidents and it, you know, it's it diversity doesn't mean a lot unless there's inclusion and belonging. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, very proud of the work we've done um, in this space. So on my first day, you know, I mentioned that we launched the COVID task force the same day we launched something we called the social justice and equity forum. And if you go back, this is July of 2000. 20, you know, there was a lot of tragic issues in our communities that our students were experiencing, but they had no safe place to go. We weren't in session. You know, even when we were in session, it was uh, a virtual environment. So we wanted to spend the summer getting ready for the return of the students so that when they came, we would have that safe haven for them. And we launched the forum where students come. I've not missed one yet. So we've had two years worth of meetings, you know, probably 50 sessions or so already. 
Um, I attend every one. We have our first ever chief diversity officer. She runs the session. But the most important voice is the voice of the student where we hear what they're experiencing. Give you one example. The first year we launched a voter registration campaign because the 18 year olds are not yet up until that point in time eligible to register to vote. We had them all register and they voted in the Biden Trump election. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. I can't tell how many students the day after the election came up to tell me, hey, I voted. I went back home. I voted. You know, we're just part, uh, proud to be part of the process. One of the things the students said is they want me to lead by example. They want to make sure that our faculty and our staff look like our student body. You know, we're blessed with a very, very diverse student body, roughly 50-50 white and uh, diverse students. But our faculty and staff did not have that same representation uh, in the last two years now since I've joined. Roughly half of our staff who we've hired are now ethnically diverse, and more than half of the faculty who we've hired are ethnically diverse. And all we really did was make sure that every pool of candidates had a nice diverse mix. And then we picked the best candidate, and we've gotten the diversity now at the college level to better match the student level. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the college. You know, I know you were established in 1952. So you're, you're relatively young, comparatively speaking, to a number of other you know, private faith-based schools. So can you kind of walk me through the history a little bit, you know, when you started and just that evolution to today? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful history. Um, 1952 was the founding. And if you go back probably another 70 years prior to that, the same founding sisters founded probably 100 other schools, you know. We're the flagship, I, I would say. But you know, if you look around the country and the region, you'll find a lot of high schools, grammar schools where they were the founding sisters. So just amazing work, you know, the 70 years prior to that, if you can imagine. But we're now 70 years old, you know, still relatively young, I guess, as a college. But in 1952, the reason the college was founded is a number of the sisters who were in the order were already teaching in the schools, teaching in grammar schools and high schools but they weren't certified. New York State was requiring now a New York State level of certification. So the first wave were the actual sisters who were in the classroom to make sure they were certified to become teachers. And then I would say our first few generations were primarily the nuns who were being trained as educators. So if you were to ask, what is our flagship school? Certainly the School of Education. You know, now we're introducing STEM. We're so proud of our School of Arts, proud of School of Business. But it was education that was the one that was here from day one. If you kind of fast forward, you know, the last uh, few generations, I was blessed to follow two presidents who were each here for more than 20 years. And really it was them who built the college to what it is today, where we're serving all types of students, some of whom are Catholic, some of whom aren't, uh, but from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds. So it's a wonderful uh, history and based on the mission of supporting students and helping them navigate their way through college and ultimately life. So what are the top two two or three um, things that are on your, either to keep you up at night or wake you up early in the morning or both? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, uh, I live here on campus during the week, so I'm up pretty late, but when I do get to sleep, uh, I have a few things on my mind. Yeah, I think right now it's mostly uh, the mental health of our students to really worry about that a lot. Uh, again, see it, you know, with my own children and their friends, but certainly with 1,200 of students right here on campus, they've been through a lot. You know, they've been through far more than I ever went through when I was 18, you know, between COVID and social justice and a war and just all kinds of uh, 
challenges they've faced. Uh, they also were in that virtual world, you know, for, for an extended period of time. So I do worry about, you know, some of the challenges they face at home, challenges they face here on campus, and how do we support them? So I would say that's, uh, you know, first and foremost right now. I think uh, adjacent to that would then be the level of preparedness. You know, if a student, for whatever reason, didn't get the right level of preparedness in high school, I don't want to knock them out of the box. I want to make up for whatever those gaps are. And that's why that early intervention, that, you know, first, second semester type focus is so important. So I would say student, uh, you know, mental health and well-being, number one. Um, student preparedness, you know, readiness is, uh, is on the list as second. And then if I could just shift gears to the employee side, let's not forget they're going through some of those same challenges that our students going in their own families with loss of life, and loss of job. And they're expected to then come here and be the ones to lead others. So I do worry about, you know, how our employees are um, feeling and how I can support them on their journey. We have something called College Day. Uh, whenever I meet with the board, I immediately meet with the employees to tell them the same story, to share with them the same slides, hear what's on their mind. Really looking forward to, first and foremost, thanking them, but to also understanding how I can support our employees because we're the adults in the room, right? We need to be the ones who can support the students. And it's just really helping everyone navigate through what's been you know, a pretty tough journey the last few years. So uh, how are you all engaging uh, alumni? Yeah, we're blessed. You know, we have, uh, as I said, a wonderful uh, history. First few generations with the nuns, last few generations, you know, a, a wonderful mix. Uh, similar to the approach with the community. When I speak to the graduates now, you know, I think my punchline is I'm giving you the keys to the campus. I want you to come back. You know, uh, we want you to utilize our resources, our fitness center, our career center for sure. Come back and speak to a class. Come back and do something called a stack chat. So whenever we have what I would say is a big event on campus, we open it up to our alum. So when we had the freshman convocation, we invited the alum. Last week, we had a faculty staff football game where the faculty staff came out and supported our football team. Uh, we beat UPenn, just saying, just saying. <laughs> but we invite alum to come to that homecoming, of course, Winter Wonderland, Earth Day events really want our alum to feel that this is still their campus because what a great influence for our students. You know, they might listen to me as president, but if a student who graduated last year comes back, they're definitely listening, right? They want to know, how's the job? How's it going? What's life like? And uh, we really try to surround our current students with the alum. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I love hearing that because, you know, I think too often it's, you know, it's a letter in the mail with maybe a bumper sticker and sign up for our magazine and pay, you know. So it's so it's refreshing, you know, that the, to, to be able to bring the alums in and make make he or she feel wanted. Hey, I'm, I'm a part of this. And they're, you know, different life cycle, right? An alum who just graduated the first four or five years, clearly they're, they're not in a position to financially support the college. They try to financially support themselves later on in their journey, you know, and I've been blessed to be able to give back scholarships to my alma mater. And we certainly hope at some point they would consider that. But early on, honestly, it's about us supporting them. You know, we have the wonderful career center. If God forbid you're out of work a couple of years after graduating college. That's still on me, in my opinion. I could help you, you know, very quickly get back on your feet and surround you with some of those resources. So we really, you know, we do look at the life cycle of an alum and especially in those early years, we want them here to support our students, but by all means, we're very uh, available to support them with our MBA program with, or with other career type opportunities. 
Yeah, it's great. I asked the president one time, you know, they had just set a record, fundraising record. And I said, well, how do you fundraise? What, what do you do? And one of the first things that he said is he said, well, I don't, I don't start by asking for money. You know, I start by telling the story and getting them excited. So, and you clearly have an exciting story at, at St. Thomas Aquinas. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, President Ken Daly. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, as I said up front, I really enjoy, uh, you know, this opportunity, Bradley. So thank you so much. And, and thank you for your interest in uh, our college, but especially for your passion that you share with me about helping uh, the next generation of students. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.